Welcome to episode 19 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today, we're going to be talking tiny homes. Let's continue the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to MADE. With me, as always, is Claudia Bergen. Hello. Back from injury is Ray Peña. How you doing? And I am Jose Bocarso. We're back, guys. We, we, we've been gone for... A, but a, we, we skipped last week because Ray was still hurt, so we couldn't really record. And Ray, you missed the week before that because of your eye. Why don't you yes, tell I people did. a little bit about your eye <laughs> injury? Yeah. Well, it's one of those fluke things. Uh, you know, I, I always wear uh, eye protection when I'm working, mm-hmm. but uh, but I was I was doing something so inoculant that you wouldn't you wouldn't think that it would yeah. present a problem, and I was I was just cleaning an air conditioner. Uh, you know, your air conditioner uh, has a little filter on it, but sometimes you can get stuff behind the filter, mm-hmm. and it clogs the coils. And it was a a used air conditioner from somebody who had dogs, mm-hmm. so I didn't even think twice about. Uh, putting anything over my eyes but because of my uh, respiratory issues I always wear a dust mask so I had a dust mask on because I know that anytime I make dust I could have a problem Um, so I was cleaning it out didn't even think twice and a dog hair actually a couple of dog hairs ended up in one of my eyes and it turns out that I'm allergic to dogs Mm -hmm. and one thing when you're allergic to something the one place you don't want it is in your eye And so within 20, 30 minutes, my eyes started, you know, watering and swelling up and uh, it became a, an issue. And uh, because of the irritation, it became susceptible to infection. And sure enough, I got a viral infection. <laughs> <laughs> and then the viral infection got to the other eye and I ended up seeing about four doctors before I found one that was able to get it all under control. And uh, it was just quite an unpleasant experience overall, yeah. and uh, uh, it got it got per- it was a particularly virulent strain, and so I was I was out of work for about three weeks. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, yeah. And, and when we were there in Delaware, you were just you were just start, the you day just after. Right. Yeah, the day after the dog hair was in my eye. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. Well now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you're better. It's still a little bit of blurriness on one eye, right? Yeah, I still got a little blurriness in one eye. The doctors think it'll come back. I hope it does. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about it because some vision is better than none. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's You're always positive. My choice is crying. none or blurry, I'll take blurry. <laughs> oh, I would make this, like, the biggest, like, drama no, soap opera like, thing that <laughs> yeah. could happen. Yeah. I'd we still know. be, like, complaining about it. I'm sure. It would yeah. be all over social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that this even made you like you you have been able to put out videos for a while. Yeah, correct. I've missed uh I like to do one video a week and I missed mm-hmm. a couple of weeks there and uh but uh I'm getting back on track now. Cool. Yeah, yeah you're back on full swing. I saw some of the and, videos coming up. Yeah. yeah, and I I don't know if I should be concerned because during the time I was not putting up videos, my YouTube channel did better. <laughs> I, I think I think people are telling me they prefer me silent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Less of you makes him want to watch more of you. It's, it's funny. I guess so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> you miss what you can't get. I guess. 
Yeah. Very cool. Well, now yeah. we're back. I know yeah. Jose's mom has been asking, like, what happened? Where are the Pokemon? No, actually, I haven't, heard from her in a, <laughs> I haven't heard from her in a couple of weeks. I just heard from her the other day because we, we did a project for her that she could... Uh, well, did she, she get that already? Uh, she hasn't gotten in the mail yet, I don't think. I thought would have gotten the phone call, but I, I let it her know. It should be soon. I think it only mm-hmm. takes three days, and I, I think I sent that out Tuesday. No, you sent so it she... out Wednesday, right? I think it was Tuesday. Yep, it was Tuesday. It was... I remember now. Yeah. Pretty sure it was Tuesday, and... Uh... Oh, wait a minute, is it? No, no, it no you're right, it was Wednesday. Tuesday... <laughs> Monday was a holiday, so Tuesday... Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. It was Wednesday, yeah. so... Probably Friday, Saturday, she should see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think she, she's excited about it, so... Did you send her the picture yeah. I sent you? I did. She saw the picture, so oh, she, she's, she's really happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll post a picture somewhere about it. When maybe when she finishes, we can we can put something up about it. Yeah, yeah, cool, good, good. So yeah, I'm think I'm I'm glad we're all back. Yeah, it's and, nice to be uh, back. Yeah, and uh, let's get started. Yeah, let's get right. We're gonna skip news because of the topic. I think we have is gonna. Run a little long, and we'll be back with news next week. Mm-hmm. So let's just get right to the main topic. All right, let's get to our main topic. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about tiny houses. Um, so we have a couple of articles that we've linked to this, but I think we just have a general discussion about it. Um, about sort of the small house movement, I guess. So we have we have an article about, you know, an apartment you can take with you. We have one about tiny houses, the tiny house dumpster. So I guess the, the way we could frame this discussion is have sort of a discussion about design. And then we can even talk some more about the, the building of this. Because a lot of these tiny houses are sort of do-it-yourself houses, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a big movement. Uh, I think every time you... you... Uh, turn around there's another article written by uh, somebody you know new tiny house community going up or people are downsizing uh, I like these two particular articles because they're kind of uh, the two extremes you know the uh, the dumpster apartment is an extreme example of this tiny house uh, I mean I would I would even call it a it's so extreme as to be un uh, you know unusable but uh, the other one is kind of a a uh, mass-produced concept of a tiny house with the added benefit of being able to ship it anywhere you want. Uh, but I think the majority of the tiny house movement falls in the middle. And, uh, you know, you just type in tiny house into any of the search engines and you'll find, you know, thousands and thousands of examples. And, uh, and one of the most common examples, and I'm sure you've seen it, is... Uh, like you mentioned, the DIY, the do-it-yourself, you build your own uh, tiny house on a trailer. And that seems to be the most common uh, type of tiny house. And, and it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's quite economical to do. And you can do it in, in, in a controlled environment. Uh, and a lot of people are actually uh, going into business building tiny houses. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a rub uh, you know that we can discuss that when you have a tiny house made for you instead of doing it yourself I think it kind of defies the whole uh, philosophy of the tiny house I think the reason it's so small is that it's a, a scale of a project that you could easily handle and become intimately familiar with all the components uh, but when you have somebody else build it for you obviously you need to pay them for the for the uh, services 
but now you're not so familiar with your with your house. You're not so in touch with every aspect of it. Yeah, and I, and I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that if you're doing it yourself, you're really accommodating it to how you live your life, right? Yes. And that's, I think that's key when you're talking about these tiny houses. If if it's not almost 100% functional to you, it's going to fall apart. You're not yeah. able to live there. Yeah. So. And, and these are some advantages of when you build it yourself is that you can compromise where you feel you right. can compromise instead of getting something delivered to you and say, oh, wait a minute, this is not how I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you didn't want to compromise on that point. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's what but, it'd be interesting I, to, to talk about it in a design point of view, in a making point of view. And I think to a certain degree, we can even get to a discussion about some sort of social aspects that go to these tiny houses. Yes. Well, and, and that has been part of the biggest movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of groups, especially, uh, you know, for homeless uh, accommodations, have, have made this, uh, this model their go-to for helping solve a very common problem. Yeah, uh, well, so let, let's talk about, I guess, first from a design point of view. Um, or, I, I mean, do you guys want to sort of give some general thoughts as to what you have about, that you have about this tiny house movement? Well, how do you want to well, talk about it? Well, I'll, you know, if, uh, if you want, I'll go first on this, because uh, when, I, when I think about these tiny houses, I, I love the idea. I love the idea of a tiny house. Uh, and you've been to my house. You, you, you've seen the size of it. Uh, and I feel it's too big. I, I think this is too much space. Uh, and and even though I, I, you know we got a lot of stuff, and that I think that's really where the the key lies is you get a lot of stuff, and then you need more space, and then you end up with a bigger house, and you got to pay you know all the utilities. But I love the idea of a tiny house, and it reminds me of when I lived in an efficiency apartment. You know, a tiny efficiency apartment. I had a bed, you know, a little bed, and a desk, a table, and a bookcase. <laughs> and and that was it you know it was very simple and i really i really did enjoy the simplicity of it uh and uh you know this example of the, of the dumpster house it is it is even smaller than an efficiency efficiency apartment it is so extreme um and and i think i'm not even sure if it was built as an experiment or as mockery of the of of the whole idea because it is just so so crazy extreme uh, but uh, but from, from the aspect, the philosophical aspect, I love the concept of a uh, of a tiny house, and there's really no clear definition. You know how how big is a tiny house? Is it a 300 square foot house? Is it a 500 square foot house? The dumpster one is 36 square feet, yeah, which is smaller oh, wow. than most closets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean your bathroom is bigger than that. Right. Um, yeah. You see, I. Interesting. Well, Claudia, what do you? What? How do you feel in general about the tiny house? I don't think they're cool. <laughs> 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 because, um, <clears throat> well, I think it's good for uh, the minimalist and you know whoever has made the decision to not have kids, to not, you know, to live in, in a specific way. Um, it's not a solution. It's more of a, of a, uh, gitchy, like thing that you would that you want to do hmm. like so as far as zoning is concerned here in the district they they put it under um accessory dwellings mm -hmm. and that's why they're starting in september because we have new zoning laws they're gonna start popping up a lot more 
But that's what it is. It's, it's literally an accessory. It's not necessarily something that you. I think I don't. I don't think it solves the housing problem, which is what people have tried to say. Mm-hmm. I don't think it it it, it um, solves the issue of. Uh, recycling or upcycling or you know cradle to grave or any of those issues because um, you're still creating like if you don't have a bathroom if you don't have um, storage space if you don't have those things you're still gonna need those things so those those uses are gonna go somewhere else you end up doing that you end up going to your friend's house and creating trash there you end up you know like doing um, like just basically you're you're shifting the use on your regular daily uses to not be in that particular place mm-hmm. they're being transferred onto somewhere else whether it's at work or wherever um then i i think it's a very privileged like creative class type of thing it's you know when you're poor you don't necessarily think of the way I'm going to solve my situation is by building myself a tiny little house. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. That is interesting. I, I guess, I guess it's somewhat fall somewhat in the middle between you guys in that, you know what it's like it, to me, I, I guess I liken it to a, it's like being a vegetarian. Like I can understand that that's your thing. It's just not for me. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I think as somebody that grew up sharing a bedroom till i was in college i like having my own space now i like and because i like like having room for it i'm also six foot three so i like a little bit of space so like it's clearly not for me to live in a tiny place it also doesn't have to be huge Um, but there's a part of me that can respect the design that has to go behind it for it to function well for somebody and the people that make it themselves, there's a respect of the fact that you're making this yourself, you know. Um, but it's clearly just not something that I would enjoy for myself. So. Yeah, and, and I think you both kind of hit on the point. This is not a magic bullet to solve a bunch of problems. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's not for everybody. I, you know, I like the idea of, of downsizing to maybe like, you know, 500 square feet or something like that. But... Um, the, uh, and there have been some interesting articles and I'll see if I can, I can find it again so that you can uh, link it in the, in the show notes of people who have lived in tiny houses for a year and had to give it up because it was not for them. They thought it was for them, but it wasn't for them. Um, but I do think that it, it does have merit and, you know, knowing that it's not, uh, for everybody, uh, I think it's probably a, uh, a worthwhile investigation uh and claudia you you hit some on some interesting points uh some of the people that need housing the most can't even afford to think about a tiny house you can't i mean you can't even think you can't afford to think about it um do i think it's it's for the privileged um i think it's for people who can afford to think about it because uh you know you might get a little bit of money together and you get yourself an apartment you're renting an apartment uh, and it requires a lot less than if you say, oh, I want to build a tiny house. Well, now you need twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in cash to be able to build it. And <laughs> where do you get that 
if you are in a position that you can't afford to think about it you know it, it's it's a very uh, interesting concept so i think i can agree uh i can agree with both of you on some of those points uh but but on the basis of the philosophy i, I i'm still in love with the idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no but you see now when it comes to you personally though because you're somebody that when you're talking about going to a tiny house you're thinking about living space because you still need your shop right? oh yeah no i do not i do not include my shop in that right in my ideal situation <laughs> i would have a let's say a five thousand square foot shop and a 500 square foot house <laughs> that's my ideal situation right. but but for me those two are mutually exclusive uh you know when, you're, when i'm thinking about it mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you just don't want a tiny shop with tiny well, little yeah tools. you know when you're making stuff Right, you as space. you know, yeah, you gotta have space. You need, right. you know, uh, uh, work surface tools. Uh, my workshop right now, at home, is uh, is just under two hundred square feet. And you know, when you think about it, like you think of people who live in poverty in in, in a lot of other countries, that is bigger than most shacks. At, at two hundred square feet, you know, you have a family of four, five, six people living in less space than that. So when it comes to looking at that as a living space, it's actually quite nice. Uh, but when you know, but when we're talking about in this country, uh, it's just not enough space for for working. But I've I've gone in there and when I'm making stuff, I I sometimes I sit. Well, what if none of this was in here? Where could I put a bed, a little kitchenette, you know, composting toilet? I, I, you know, I play around with the idea. But then I'm like, well, where am I going to work? I got no space to work. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I think it's tough. I do like the idea of the modular town, like the tiny homes, which is what the, um, the article that we were going to talk about. Of, you know, like basically creating this, I think it's the, like that you, 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 you puzzled it, you it's- puzzled the small structures in oh, right? you, put it, you fit them together you fit them together mm-hmm. but that's a modular a, home that's not necessarily a a minimalist small home per se well it's like my in-laws you've been to their house their house is a modular house and in fact it was a model house um and you don't th- oh it's a modular home and you don't think of modular home being six thousand square feet um and but those are were built uh, in modules and i don't know if, you, if i told you that the factory where it's built was across the highway well, next time you guys come over, we'll go by there. The factory that built that house is directly across the highway. And that's why it was a bottle home. But, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, incredibly, I will tell you one thing. As big as that house is, it is extremely energy efficient. Uh, because of, of the nature of the modules and they were able to insulate each one. And wherever to meet, you have double insulation. I mean, it's, it's a very tight, tight house. Um and they actually pay less in electricity than we do here. I mean, it's it's that efficient. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's some merit to that, but uh, but uh, you know, this portable type of tiny apartment that you could uh, take with you instead of packing it up, you guys just moved, and you uh, you can attest to how enjoyable that was. Imagine if all you had to do was just lock the door, disconnect the utilities, and order your apartment to be moved to you know across the city or put on a ship you know ship to another country uh a lot more comfortable than having to do everything you guys had to do 
Yeah, and I guess for me, for it is funny because I at one point I had looked at a, an uh, architecture competition that was about offices, and I had had thought the thought of doing something similar for an office, sort of the modular office, that where you would have sort of these towers, the core towers that you could insert these modules that would be the offices, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I always thought of that more as sort of this functional, more than livable space. I guess when it comes to yes. livable space, I always think of it, and maybe it's because of the work that I'm doing now, where it's, you know, custom residential houses that are designed for the person that lives in it. So a lot of those, I hate calling those people, <laughs> a lot of those clients are looking more towards, like, how to make the space functional and the luxury of it, you know? And these mm -hmm. tiny houses are really all about not the luxury of it, right? Well, you're absolutely right. They're not about luxury. They're about minimal living. And really, it's a. Uh, if you read any of those articles, uh, not these particular ones, but uh, there's actually a website. I think it's called Tiny Yellow House. Um, if you read any of the articles, people don't talk so much about the houses, but they talk about changing the way they're living. Without all the overhead, the mortgages, the the large utility bills, uh, the the uh, amounts of possessions, uh, with everything being reduced, you end up having more time, more money. You know, when it comes to painting, if you do have to paint it, it's an afternoon instead of if you ever had to paint the house, it's an ordeal. Uh, it you know you can spend a solid week painting a house uh, on the outside, so uh, everything gets reduced. The cleaning time is is less. Uh, the maintenance time is less. So they end up with more time, and because everything is, is smaller and less expensive, they end up with more money. So there have been some, uh, some uh, bloggers that have actually taken uh, a year off with a tiny house in tow and uh, made their living by, by blogging. Whatever income they had, you know, paid for their meals and their fuel and they had, didn't have to pay for hotels because they were pulling around their tiny houses. And when I, I say pulling around a tiny house, not a camper, it, you know, it wasn't a camper they were pulling. They, it, they were pulling an actual tiny house with siding on it, pitched roof, and some of them even have like little porches. So uh, the way they look at it is more of a, a way of life or maybe even an, an adventure. Um, it isn't about uh, living in the middle of D.C., which is... Uh, perhaps you know some of your uh, guys' perspective. You'd be like, "Well, how am I going to live in a little a little house in the middle of DC? I got no land to put it on." It's it's a very complicated issue when you think of it in the context of a big city. Uh, but when you take it outside of that context, I think it it becomes uh, more reasonable. Yeah. No, I agree with you, but I mean, I think there's also people that have gotten into because that's a tiny house. But you know, there's there's the micro apartments that have started popping up in New York City and yeah. even here in DC as well. And that's a similar idea of sort of the minimalist, just, you know, the amenities to live as small as possible so that you can still live in the city. So I don't know if it's necessarily just that like, I think, because we also do, like I have a friend uh, who was living here in D.C. and him and his wife have now decided to, they bought a van, not even a camper, a van, and they're currently retrofitting it so they can just sort of drive around the country from place to place, they're going to live out of this van and, and that's going to be their life now. You know, so I understand that, that part of it, but I mean, I think, I think there's got to be more to this because there's people that are actually doing this in the cities in small apartments. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I definitely think that I think Ray, you you do have this, uh, you envision this whole thing in a very romantic way. Um, I can't help it. That's my thing. Yeah, because <laughs> you're you're just you're just you're that just romantic. You're just yeah. that kind of you're a romantical guy. <laughs> but um, you know, like when when you say like, oh, this isn't about luxury. Well, I think the realities here in DC is that people who will own a a tiny home and it's behind somebody's a friend's yard so therefore they're earning their you know 70k uh, like you know uh, job a year and they they're still living in this like tiny house because it's cool and then they have uber come and pick them up every day from every possible location that they're in and then they'll make the comment of oh it's great because now i feel like i have a personal chauffeur right and it's the reality of it of it being a luxury because you're not spending money there meanwhile you're spending money at five-star restaurants you're traveling to exotic lands because you don't really have a home to come to so you're traveling a lot more you're making a lot more impact to the environment um and you know it's just it's the frugality of it is not necessarily as romantic as it is because you're most most of the people that I know that would do something like this will end up spending more money somewhere else in very frivolous ways. Um, even our friends, you know, like, yeah, they had this really romantic idea of going on, on this, like, trip on their van and everything else. They've yet to do it. They've been out for about a year now. And he's been spending time skiing in, like, Tahoe. You know, and like that's what he does. Like all the savings that he did, that he had because he was living in a, in a in a studio home, he's been spending it just chilling. And he gets to do that because he has a nice consultancy job with, you know, like major World Bank type um, employment. So it's you know, yeah. Yeah, but I think you hit it on the head right there. You hit it on the head perfectly because now they're contributing more to the economy. You have just made an argument for this. Oh, that's yeah, great. But, now you can spend but what economy? Time. You know, it's like what economy? Like also, there's also social impacts to that economy, right? Because if you're like if you're contributing to the Donald Trumps of the world, are you really contributing to the economy? Yes, you are. But man, I'd rather not be doing that. <laughs> you know, and all be and then you know like wash it down because oh, I live in a tiny house, so I'm I'm actually making, uh, I'm doing good to society. Yeah, but if if they're saving and taking a trip to, like you say, Tahoe, and they're skiing and they're doing that, they're they're investing in the experience. You know, they are enjoying (laughs) life more. Yeah. (laughs) Again, this is an argument for the tiny house because now they can, instead of buying things, they are spending their money on experiences and growing. You know, I agree with you. You've sold me. You have sold me. Well, you're not the traveling guy, yeah, so either uh, way, you're not really traveling much. You're going to live in a tiny apartment and, yeah. and probably but just honestly, make more bowls. I've done all the traveling uh, yeah. when I was younger, and I've done a lot of traveling. Yeah. And uh, I kind of like, you know, being staying at home and yeah. working. I'm a, Jen says I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but I do, I do enjoy working. That, mm-hmm. for me, working is more like a vacation. I, I, I really enjoy it. Cool. So mm-hmm. that would afford me more time to work. Hey, even better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, getting into some of the making part of it, because I, I mean, I think because these houses have to be so functional, I think you see 
somewhat a lot of innovation going on. You see lofts being built in these houses. You see, you know, I think mm -hmm. a few weeks back we talked about the the robot furniture. Yeah, the robot furniture. Yeah. Right. That I think those things are made or are being developed for houses like this. Yes. So I guess the question is: Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Um, I, you know, I didn't really like the, the robot furniture because I didn't really think there was a, there was a robot there. No, but it was misleading. Yes. Yes. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I guess there's always been, you know, modular furniture. There's always been uh, the Murphy beds and things like that that save space. Is, is this just an extension of that to serve the purpose of the tiny house? Well, you know, it's interesting when you when you put aside, you know, the political issues and and uh, zoning issues and all that and we talk about just like the making uh, there's something intimate when you build your own dwelling uh, you know and if uh, I'm not sure how many of our listeners or even if you you guys if you have not actually ever built a house or worked on a house or even done something as simple as as uh, re-roofed your house um, a 2,000 square foot house is an enormous amount of of undertaking if you are going to do it yourself it is huge it's a, a huge amount of surface huge amount of roof you got a lot of windows I mean it's just a lot of work to do but if you're gonna build something yourself you know a scale if if you say oh I'm gonna build a 2,000 square foot house and I do it by myself that's a five-year project you know that's gonna take you a long time if you're doing it by yourself if you say oh I'm gonna build a, a tiny house on a trailer which is about 200 250 square feet the scale of that project to an individual is a, is a much more reasonable undertaking. And you can see it, you know, some people take six months, some people might take a year, um, because a lot of them are going into it blind, they've never built anything before. And that's kind of what I like about the concept, that romanticism, is that if you've never done it before, it is a project you can tackle, you know. But if you've never built a house before, forget the permitting problems that you're going to run into that, you know, you know. Uh, and the plans that you got to submit and all the life safety stuff and now you got to dig a hole I mean it is it is a ton of work to put a house up um, but I, I like that idea that and there are a lot of young people doing it, 18 19 you know 20 year olds that have never done anything with their hands and for some reason uh, you know I, I know we kind of disagree on the reasons but for whatever the reason is they decided to pick up a hammer and get some wood and uh, and build something for the very and some of them for the very first time on their own and I think that that romantic idea is in the hearts of a lot of people yeah I think that's something that that, that romantic idea of building your own home is something that I can understand something that you know when you look at old movies and people or even you know talk to people that oh my grandfather built this with his own two hands you know build this whole house yes. with his own two hands that's not something you see or hear anymore you know like no. nobody's out there building their own log cabin by hand anymore you know yeah. Um, oh man, those are a lot of work. There, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think of all those joints and all those corners uh, and all those yeah. logs have to be fitted. I mean, that is an amazing amount of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? You bring up a very good uh, when you mentioned the log cabin. Mm -hmm. You know what the most important job is on a on a job site if you are building a log cabin? No. Claudia will be perfect for this. The most important job when Cleaning. you're building a log cabin? No. No. It is the log sitter. <laughs> there is the log sitter because when you're when you're cutting log or chopping on or using the saw you got to have somebody hold it for you 
<laughs> so the log sitter sat on the log to keep it still while they were working on the ends of it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah, and you say, it's funny, you said cleaning. Now, there's a story behind this whole idea of Claudia oh, yeah. saying cleaning behind. When, what's now, the that was a valuable lesson, I think. It was a valuable lesson, sure. <laughs> for uh, Unfortunately, at my expense, we'll, maybe we'll get into that some other day. But, well, uh, you lived. You lived. I did live. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, it's funny because I feel like this log sitter is another job that she would look down upon like, oh, you're making me do this and it's not important. Uh, and it's yeah. like the most important job. It is. is. <laughs> and, you know, at a, at a construction site, the most important job, and, of course, it's the least paid and, and people who are doing it feel underappreciated, but it is the helper. The helper is the most important job because it allows – the skilled labor and the craftsmen to be able to do their jobs more efficiently. You know, if you're bringing in materials or bringing in supplies, um, uh, you know, taking away waste and garbage, cleaning up the site, all of those things that the helper does is is vital and valuable because otherwise the higher skilled labor has to do it. And that means that they are doing less work. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So one of these days we'll have to get into this. Uh, we'll have to get into that story. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to figure out a topic where that fits into. Um, huh. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I see some of the romantic part of building your own home that you're mentioning, right? What about you, Claudia? Do you understand? Do you do you see the the whole making part of it and where where there's sort of this? <laughs> I'm gonna guess the answers. No. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I I think I I do in 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 the sense of. Yeah, when we're when we're making assumptions that people are buying are, are building their own tiny homes, but again, the reality of, of it is more like I'm gonna have it built for by yeah, myself. The and majority of people aren't building it. Themselves. They're not building themselves. But you know, like I think whenever you mention about uh, somebody saying, "Oh, well, I build my house," I I think of um, some of my sister's friends who bought you know those those uh, developer Ryan, Ryan homes that are like the cookie cutter homes, you know, and mm. oh, you'll yeah. meet them and they'll say, oh, I helped design my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I completely <laughs> created this whole entire thing. And it's like, no, you you looked at a website and you chose what? Yeah, you picked A, B, and C. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and well, it's, but, yeah you know. or, or like, oh, I wanted my, you know, my, my, my closet to be this big. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, no, that's not designing your home. That's so privileged. And I, and I feel like it's the same case for tiny, like, I it could easily, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, oh, well, look at, you know, the, the, the specific material, you know, it's like, um, uh, what is it called? Re- reclaimed wood mm-hmm. from, you know, like Portland, Oregon that I brought all the way over here, you know, like, yeah. and it's like, oh, great. I, I just, I just see the pretentious. I can't get past the pretentious part of it. It's my it, now. But I mean, to be fair though, just like a, a lot of even my clients that came came upon an architect to design the house for them. Once it comes, once it's done and everything said, they act like, oh yeah, I had to, I designed this house to my liking or whatever. They still phrase it that way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I think that's just something that I've gotten past because it's like okay, you know, you. you that's the job of the architect you're doing this job for somebody else it's their house they're gonna see it that way yeah but you know what that that never really bothered me so much uh because uh you know i worked uh, a lot of commercial projects with developers and and they were they were always involved with a lot of the decisions to save money of course Mm -hmm. so when they looked at the building they looked at at how much they did 
to save money <laughs> and still end up with a nicer a nice design so uh, I think maybe it's uh, without them realizing it's it's perhaps it's a compliment because it came out so nice that they are willing to claim credit for it you know if it came out crappy there's like no 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 I hired this guy and this is what he did you know, Which is they, true, actually. When I, I've gone into, into <laughs> renovations of people that have renovations before, and they're like, look at what this guy did. Look at what this exactly. architect did or whatever. Yeah. So when they said, oh, yeah, I, I did this and I did that, it's, it's a bit of a compliment because it's so nice that they're willing to claim the credit. Right. And let's face it, they had to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, and so, ultimately, yeah. you know, the reason I, I, somebody that came from a lot of commercial work, I've gotten into residential work, I got into it not because of the credit I was going to get for doing the work is because I really enjoy seeing how happy people were when you did some work at their house. Yes. You know, that was, and the, it's personal. Yeah. They're very connected right. to it. Exactly. Something that with a lot of the commercial jobs you didn't get, you know? No. Yeah. So well, the developer, all they care is how much is it going to cost me? Right. Yeah. 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 I gotta tell you, that was one of my pet peeves is, uh, you know, when you're talking about $30 million project and a developer saying, this is gonna this is gonna add ten thousand mm dollars. -hmm. Well, save yourself the thirty million bucks and don't build it, and you're done. <laughs> Why are you complaining about ten grand? Mm -hmm. Don't spend thirty million. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. always been one of my things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that you get this with residential work still, and and it's, it tends to be it's funny. The more the client spends, the less they seem to want to spend. We're doing this house that's probably gonna come into the seven million dollar cost. Yeah, this humongous house in a, in an area that shouldn't be being built at because they're never gonna get that money back. Like, um, and this client looking at it and saying like, I want to put cheaper windows in because it's gonna cost me less. It's like, why are you building an, an eight million dollar yeah. house and you're gonna have a cheap window? <laughs> like, don't put Marvin windows on an eight million yes. dollar house. Yeah. yeah, who does that? So yeah, yeah. Um, I cannot remember. I've been trying to like think of the, the Canadian architect that we went to. Jose and I went to this one lecture at the National Science, no, National Academy of Science, mm -hmm. and yeah, from Waterloo it University. Was from Waterloo University, I cannot remember his name. But one of the things that he was he was talking about is so he creates these um, uh, mobile. He called it responsive architecture. Responsive architecture, which is like it, it, it's mechanics, right? I mean, to me, that's the the the, the the, the so, ultimate maker right and, and it was interesting because so this he created this architecture very organic looking architecture that not only was it organic looking but it had sensors so as you move through the space the the architecture would respond to you you know uh -huh. so it would almost look like a plant and it had the sensor so if you move through it it would start to vibrate and move around as if it was you know some plants that move throughout uh -huh. the day you know mm -hmm. They were very responsive to the people. And the way that he explained it, sort of like the concept behind this is it was like an antithesis of the tiny homes because he felt like, um, you know, a lot of the, the students that he was teaching and that the, they were presenting uh, tiny home design to him, they were all very inward looking. You know, they were just looking at looking at the functions and, their, and the design and the aesthetics and the needs, form, problems, function, all that uh, stuff, but in an inward way, right? In a very tiny way. Like, you have to be within those walls. And he was saying that instead, if you actually look at it as a droplet of water or, you know, like, you can be this tiny, you can have this tiny experience in the context of nature. 
So you mm-hmm. open yourself up to nature instead. So, you, you know, you, rather than, you know, like making a, a tiny house out of wood and out of all of the, basically a, a scaled down version of a house, um, you should think of it more as camping, you know, like being outdoors and let the outdoors be your dwelling. Mm. And that's why the sensorial um, designs that he was doing and this, you know, like that, the process that he was going was emulating nature and I really like that because then that it's not an inward thing instead it like it almost flips up you know the other way mm-hmm. you know what that, that kind of makes me think about um, you know this idea of the tiny house really is a new when you think about like the Farnsworth house or uh, you know the glass house you know Philip Johnson when you think of those houses, those were not big houses those were, were I, w- I don't know if they would qualify as tiny but they were small houses um, and beautiful and both of those examples, the Farnsworth house, how the Farnsworth house and the uh, glass house, uh, were doing exactly what you say. They didn't turn their backs on the outside, uh, but actually expanded your experience of the space, even though it was a, a small footprint, uh, by visually including everything on the outside. So you know the this idea of the small house, and I I can't remember. Do you guys remember the, what the size of those houses were? The Farnsworth house and uh... yeah. Not offhand, hand. but they were small. Glass house, right. I'm telling you, we went to Barcelona also to some of the meetings. No, that's the Barcelona Pavilion. Oh, that's right. a part, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Pavilion, yeah. Right, but I mean, the th- the I, I see what you're saying. I guess the, the I've never thought of those as small houses, especially the Farnsworth house. Um, and I guess part of it is because I've always seen them as such luxurious places. But when you think yes. about it, even something like Falling Waters, which is not a small house, the spaces were much smaller than. We the scale building. of the space is absolutely right. yes. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think this is probably uh, speaking of those two examples, probably a good idea to or a good point to to tie into these this modular concept. So it's where the idea of modern fabrication and modularity hmm. and the tiny house come together. And what, what was your take on on that article? I, I like it. I think it's um, it's that starts solving problems, as far as housing, affordable housing is concerned, as far as flexible housing, um, because it I think it 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 connects human trajectory or like human experience to dwelling, so that you know like only like you know if you're a millennial and you're moving constantly, then, you know, having a modular home fits that uh, mm-hmm. lifestyle. Um, and therefore, the impact of that um, person and their dwelling onto the general community or the, 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 commun- the community as a whole is minimal as well. So it's a minimal and it's a minimalist dwelling and it's a minimal impact rather than having this like exactly what we're seeing these days that you know like complete cities are being redesigned and market and market based like construction is like dominating this whole thing just to fit the the ever moving millennial right mm-hmm. and so you know culture community diverse family structures, all of that goes out the window. 
just because you want to make everything fit this particular user. So I like the fact that this is minimal in the impact and minimal in design and it fits that particular user. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is the fact that it's modular kind of forces it to be a tiny house. You got to be able to take this thing, move it, put it on a truck, ship it, go through roads. I think that the nature of this modularity, uh, whether it was intentional or not, kind of, and, and obviously you can add modules together. So if you want to have three modules as one house, but I think when you look at the individual modules, uh, they kind of lend themselves she, simply from the nature of its movement to the concept of the tiny dwelling, the tiny house and living small. Hmm. It's interesting, actually, because I mean, I think this concept is interesting. Um, I think and I'm not sure if I agreed with what you were saying or if I disagreed completely. Because um, I felt like you were saying it's good in one sense, but it's bad in another, and that it works because of that. But to me, it doesn't work. Like I, I can respect the the tiny house, and I guess for me it doesn't work because this is a discussion I was having with my father when I was in Florida a few weeks ago. You know, real estate in the thing in this country has become all about location, right? Location, location, location. So if you're having these modular houses, um location all of a sudden is not as important so i don't know what that does to the real estate market but i think even beyond that you if your house can be pulled out of this building and moved at any point then there's no stake in the community for you anymore right you're no longer have to be part of that community there's no reason why you would need to be part of that community you're probably going to be gone you're becoming a nomad if you will um and and it's funny because the discussion i was having with my dad about this and it, we weren't necessarily disagreeing, but he was disagreeing with me that that's what the world has become in that, you know, the American dream used to be you're going to have this house with a picket fence and you're going to live there, you're going to raise your kids there, you're going to die there. That's no longer the case. Now a house has become an investment for people, right? Uh, for the majority of people. And he disagreed with that. He didn't like that idea. And I told him, you know, I don't necessarily like that idea either because I think a home should be about a community and therefore... It's not just an investment, but yet I work with people that see it as an investment, right? And I, I constantly have to worry about people's investments with their houses. So it was a back and forth that we were having. But I think this idea of this modular house, I don't know what it does to that system. You know, and I don't know that I like what it does to that system. Well, it's and not just, because... not just because it kind of puts me out of a business. If you have a modular house, what do you need me for to help you make your house yeah, better? That's true too. <laughs> but, so I, I, I get yeah, Right. I get where it could sound a little self-serving and a, and a conflict of interest. I don't know. I, I, I that's where I've those are my thoughts on it right off the bat. No, I agree that if you could make a phone call and in less than a week have your module move to somewhere else, another city, other side of town, another country, it would by its nature make you less interested in becoming invested in that right. present community. So you become disconnected to any community that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would argue that, that that is happening right now already, but it's not happening in a community setting like this modular home would create because it's it's an entity. It's a, it's a right, it's a it's an entity composed of smaller mm-hmm. modular homes, right? And that's sometimes they're empty and then sometimes there's an, you know, something that fits the the square mm-hmm. or the space and they're all within like the footprint of a building of a of a um 
of a multifamily building, right? But what is happening now in this, here in the district is, is actually crazy because it happens in August and this friend of mine who's an artist, a longtime artist in the district, he, in, he's not only a visual artist, but he writes and he's, he writes comedy sometimes. So he's been um, sort of like writing little hakus or like his own version of hakus about the movements in his neighborhood, right? About these wolves that come in. And it's basically like uh, newcomers that are buying homes in his neighborhood and they'll come in and they'll put, like the city will put a sign in front of their, their lot uh, in the parking because they'll drop in the pods. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in and moving into that house with, they bring in their whole entire like furniture in pods so therefore they take up a lot of parking spaces, which is what he was really upset about. Mm -hmm. So you're already seeing this pod movement. Mm -hmm. And then he says that those people never, ever, ever talk to him. Mm -hmm. Like ever. They're, that's why he calls them wolves. Like they were raised by wolves. And then they come in and they leave like after the two years or that, that they do their master's degree here in the, in, the, in the city. They move somewhere else. Right. And, um, D.C. is a transient city because of the nature of the government being here. Right, and it's funny I say that, but the other place I've lived in in Florida was also a transient city because they had to do with you know what we call the snowbirds. You know, people yes. go for vacation, yeah. people go retire during the winter, and then they move whatever. Um, so I think it's slightly different here. Like I, I don't know that that same moving with the the moving pods is happening everywhere. Like the, the people do that in Kansas City. And I just chose, you know, one of the worst places that I could think of, which is why I said Kansas City. But I'm just saying, do people do that there? I don't know. I mean, I think it's about means, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, like, I'm also mm -hmm. like... And I think to me, at the end of the day, this still comes down to community. And if if your whole entire life, entire life, your entire house can just be pulled out on a truck and shipped down the road. Like, let's say you don't like your neighbor... What stops you from moving your pod just to another building just up the street? Even? Like, there's just no community being built. You don't have to be nice to people because you're not going to be there. You can move a floor up a floor down. You can move to just across the street because they just got to move that pod. You pay whatever, 500 bucks to move the pod. Like in Kansas Yeah, but if people, are already, if people are already like that, do you think that the... But people are not like that, right? You can't yes. do that right now. If you, buy a, if you buy a house, you can't just buy a house and then in, in, in a month be like, nope, change my mind. No, no, no. I don't mean that part. But I mean if the people that are disinvested in yeah. their raised community, they could care less. Like she was talking about the raised by wolves. If you, even if you're there for five years, there are people that, that just don't want to associate. If they are mentally and psychologically disconnected from the mm -hmm. community, will the fact that the building is modular change... The nature of the people anyway well i mean i think it makes it even worse right now it's not only the people that are already that way but everybody can go to that that can go in that direction right it's you, like it means like a slippery slope it makes it a lot easier exactly. to slide. Yeah. It, it makes it, it you know it's like you're it, it, the avalanche is coming and on top of it i'm gonna, I'm gonna throw <laughs> more snow on top of you you know yeah. it's yeah. That, that's that's my issue with it maybe i'm the only one i don't know i'd love to hear if people have other I, I don't know. I mean, and that's only one of the social issues that I think come up when you talk about uh, tiny houses. I think the other one is that a lot of people act as if tiny homes is a solution to the housing problem when I don't think it is and I don't think it was ever meant to be that, you know? No. Because the people that have a housing problem in this country 
are not single people that can live in a tiny house. The people that have a housing problem in this country are the family that has three kids and they don't make enough to be able to afford a house for all yeah. of them in their neighborhoods. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because you mentioned the social uh, aspects of these things. Mm-hmm. And, and when you bring that example, and, and it's not just like the single mom or the single dad with three kids or even the couple with, I, I know uh, one of the guys that, that works for me, uh, he is younger than I am and he's got five kids and mm-hmm. a grandkid living in his house. So that's six children living in his house. So the issue isn't so much the housing or the income, it's the fact that they are reproducing beyond their means. It's a whole <laughs> different social issue. And when you can't afford to reproduce, you really shouldn't. You know, it just makes, it compounds the problem, makes it worse. That is a different social take, probably a very unpopular <laughs> but, social but take. I, okay, yeah. But which one came first, though? Because you're saying, you, you're basically saying that because the housing cost is so high and this particular couple can't afford to reproduce, they shouldn't be able, they shouldn't have kids. But I mean it's not their fault the housing cost is so high. Right? It is absolutely not their fault, but you gotta live within your means. And if you cannot afford to live in a place and have three kids, one thing has to give. Either you don't have kids or you move to a less expensive location. I but mean that's assuming you can still find a house that you could afford in a less expensive location. Right. But I mean, like, yeah. So I, I don't definitely don't agree with what Ray is saying <laughs> at all. Especially I'm just saying the... there's different aspects of the social problem that isn't yeah. just oh, it's housing. We don't people, have people need to be responsible onto themselves as well. Is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Only very few few countries have population uh, like overpopulation issues. Mm-hmm. Like our environmental uh, degradation right now is not caused by overpopulation. It's just not. Like there's research being done on that, and our social here in the United States, all of that is the whole problem with social inequality is not because of overpopulation, and that's been proven through statistics and everything else. But going back to this thing is that um, so again internationally, in the international human rights law states that housing and I I've been using this for a long time now. Um, like this, like the last, a long time, I mean like the last four weeks, uh, to explain to people that housing is a right for the rest of the world. Only in market-based countries like the United States, where constitutionally we don't have that right, is it that we're allowing the market dictate whether you have a roof over your head or not, which is ultimately a need, a basic human need to have shelter. Because uh, animals will go and build their own shelter. We did an awesome podcast on animal builders <laughs> so it's that it's that same idea so i think that tiny homes in that way maybe make it easier for for us to see housing and dwelling as a human right because at least you have a roof over your head it might be really tiny but mm-hmm. you have a roof over your head and maybe uh-huh. that moves that discussion forward forward mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's the only, like, that would be one of the smaller benefits because right now no one talks about that. Everybody talks about, just like, talks about this issue of, of affordability in the in the terms that Ray just described. Mm-hmm. And it's, once again, I'm sorry, but it's wrong. <laughs> no, I, well, my, my argument wasn't overpopulation. I really could care less about the population. My thing is an individual responsibility. If you can't afford, for example, 
if I can't afford having 10 cars and I go out and I buy 10 cars, well, guess what? I got a problem. I can't afford it. If I can't afford to have children, I don't have children. It's, there's a certain level of responsibility that you have to have. Yeah, but and a car is a luxury, though, that is not the same as children. Because if you're two, let's say it's a couple, let's say you're two hardworking adults that have jobs, uh-huh. it's not right that they sh- can't have kids because they can't afford a home. They should be able to afford a home when, you know, they're hardworking people. That are st- like that. That's a problem. That's I think that's the problem. Sure, if you don't work for a living and then you're just popping out kids or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. yeah, then then I think what you're saying could be brought up as as an issue as well. But I think the larger issue for me is that there's people that work hard and and still can't afford to have a house in this country, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a big problem. But I, mm-hmm. I, one of the things I did want to cover that you had brought up, Claudia. Is that the tiny house could be sort of a means to help somebody? Do you? What do you guys feel when it comes to homelessness? Because that's sometimes been brought up. Is yeah. the tiny house something that helps homelessness? And will this will be the last thing we cover just because of how long we've been going already? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I I think that I it's really hard to tell. It, it homelessness is definitely a social issue and a social responsibility. I see it that way. So whether you know you do it in a in a shelter scenario with mm-hmm. the idea that you can provide enough opportunities for for ownership later on, mm-hmm. which then comes the market based issue, which there aren't, so that's why you remain homeless. Mm-hmm. It's also a public health issue, mm-hmm. like a mental illness issue, like right. that's a big component of homelessness. So how does inward inward living in a tiny home mm-hmm. really help you with? mental mental based homelessness mental issue based homelessness i don't right. know how to mm-hmm. no, no, i get what you're saying and i think you're right in the so. sense that when you think about it in those terms of like the social issues that come with homelessness whether it's mental health or whatnot this would be more of a band-aid than it's a solution so i think i don't want to say you want to dis- we should discount the mental health issues when it comes to it but I think you can't because you can't. No, I just don't want to say that. No. But I, I think in the sense of that being a given that you can't solve the mental health homelessness with these homes, does it help the other parts of it? Uh, what do you think, Ray? Yeah. I think that we have discovered that the tiny house is quite a, uh, a catalyst for discussion. And I think that it... Yeah. it like a lot of things it opens up a lot of uh, other questions Mm. Um, and what's interesting is that something so simple as a tiny dwelling for an individual or two could be so polarizing and uh, could have so many other aspects that could be you know part of its influence so uh, I really don't have anything to say about that particular issue and and the reason is uh, I do agree I, I think that there is a certain level of responsibility uh, that you know people shouldn't starve i don't think anybody should starve i don't mm-hmm. think people should be out in the cold without a roof over their head um and but i think there's a there's a line there's a line between um how much of it is right and uh, as far as as what you deserve and how much of it is your own personal responsibility i think that it, there's there's an argument for both sides mm-hmm. um you know, I'm I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not thinking it's one way or the other. I think it's it's a very difficult uh, set of questions to answer. That the the tiny house is not a silver bullet. Right. Um, 
And but it's I a don't lot think to put on one movement as well. Absolutely. Right. Uh, it's not a silver bullet, but I don't think it should be discounted as uh, non-feasible. I think mm -hmm. there's probably quite a lot of middle ground for the tiny house. Yeah. Cool, cool. Cool, I agree. I like that. I think it's been a good discussion. I hope uh, it's got people thinking about stuff. And, yeah. you know, as always, email us any thoughts you have on whatever topic we've been talking about. Um, and that's... Uh, Trying to remember the email. I haven't said it in a long time. It's madepodcast podcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, let's move on to our next topic and we'll wrap up the tiny house discussion for now. Mm -hmm. Great. All right, so this is our product of the week segment. Um, typically, we have sort of a product that we found online or whatever that, we're gonna, that we talk about. Um, I think this week we're going to try something a little different, um, in part because I, I didn't find a product and we couldn't find another product, but I think we're going to talk about a product in general. And Ray, you added this, so why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about this product of the week? Yeah, you know, we, we do mention quite a few interesting products that, uh, of course, we are, we're not affiliated with any of them that we mentioned. Um, and it's very easy to, to get carried away with the next newest piece of technology or, or it's... Uh, the miniaturization of industrialized manufacturing, uh, which we've covered a lot of those things. But uh, if you make anything, anything at all, it doesn't matter what it is. If you are making uh, dresses, if you use fabric, if you use wood, if plastic, um, even if you're just weaving rope, whatever, whatever media that you have uh, and whatever uh, materials that you use, wood, etc., it starts with something very basic, and that is cutting it down into smaller pieces to, to suit your your project and in that regard if you are a maker that works with harder materials like wood plastic and metal the saw is one of those uh un unheralded heroes <laughs> because <laughs> uh, i don't know if you've seen any of my videos uh some of them i show uh, you know materials coming in 20 foot long and then i'm cutting them down into one foot pieces Right. Um, so every job, every project, every uh, you know, every material has to start in one place, and that is the saw. And it doesn't matter if it's when you think about it, how many different types of saws there are. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a you know dozens of hand saws, and then when you think of power saws, you know, band saws and circular saws and radial arm and table mm -hmm. saw, and, and you know the list goes on. The chainsaws. There's so many saws because fundamentally every thing we start we got to start by making it into a smaller thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I think it was, it was good that you added this as a, a sort of a, a thing to talk about. Um, I mean, how many saws do you have right there at your house? Uh, well, I have several hand saws. I have one of those, uh, I think they call it like a Japanese saw, the one that only saws in one direction. I think most saws... On the pull cut. On, right. Most yeah. saws cut where it's when you push, right? Yeah, that's and, the, uh, the European yeah. tradition is a push right. cut. Yeah. And this one cuts when you pull, which yeah. makes it smaller cut. So I have one of those, which I really like. Um, I think and the, also the they have a narrower curve. And Did exactly. you notice that the teeth don't flare outwards right. on the Japanese saw? Yeah, yeah. So you can actually cut against the surface without damaging the surface. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think the most unusual saw that I went out of my way to go buy when I found it at a state sale is I have a coping saw. That, that I want it. I was like, I'm like, I really want me a coping saw. Cause uh, I'm that's not that unusual, but that's not, well, it's not that unusual, but yeah. I, like, I, I really wanted one because I like, I know I'm going to try and get into sections where I don't want, you know, the saw getting in the way of it and it needs to be released yeah. blade or whatever. So yeah, I got me one of those. 
Did we talk about like my issue with saws and my trauma with <laughs> Ray and and the blades? <laughs> what, what is, well, you're talking about the bandsaw. It's a funny yes, story. The yeah. yeah. Why, why didn't you? Well, I don't know which one of you guys wants to tell the story. Well, I mean, it, it, it came up this week because we went to the library and they you can um, you can rent tools. You mm-hmm. can you can take out tools from the library now, or they're going to start doing that in the public library. And like there was all a bunch of saws right there, and I was looking at, at Jose, and I was like, I am so afraid of this. Not because of like being able to use this, but what are they gonna do with the blade? What if you like you do break. something with break the break the, the blade? And because and I looked at Jose, I was like, because you know my history with blades. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the whole thing that you know, like I I needed to do a model right for school back in the day, and I asked Ray to borrow his bandsaw. And he told me multiple times to be careful with the blade. The one thing, so, I told her one thing, do not twist the material because you will break the blade. I told her that so many times. Mm-hmm. What do you think the very first thing she does? <laughs> break the blade. <laughs> and it broke badly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that felt so bad because it was like, it was, you know, you have like specific, you know, very like unique saws to you, for you, yeah. that you own. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where am I going to get this blade now? I need to find the blade. So forget about my model. I was more worried about the, the blade. Yeah. And the fact that you told me not to do it, and that's the first thing I did. <laughs> it was just so bad. Yeah. It was so mm. bad. Well, but you then, learned the lesson that day. No, she didn't. I didn't. <laughs> oh, no, she you, didn't. you broke another one? Right, because I remember this is almost nine years ago. The company you were working for hired both of us to make a model for them, like a large mm-hmm. model of an oh, area yeah. city. And so we went and we bought a band so specifically so we could do this thing. And I went off to work because I was working at a different firm. I was just helping do this. And I got a panicked call halfway through the day, like, oh my God, I broke the blade. What are we going to do? So I'm like, go to Home Depot, buy another one. And then she couldn't find it at Home Depot. So I, I had to leave my job. To go to this like small hardware store that was near my, my office at the point at the time, and I found the the, <laughs> the the company actually had two of these blades that fit the the, the, band, the specific bandsaw, so I had to buy both of them just in case. Yes, of course, <laughs> because she she would just. You how you should have two blades, but I mean it's funny because it, it is true. It's just it's uh, I think for a, for a girl it's kind of hard to <laughs> to well, start I mean, using you know major 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 saws. I mean, <laughs> like you know, like they you, you just—it's—it's it's intimidating. Is the word that I would say. But when you put it the way that Ray has put it, that you, you need it. It's like mm-hmm. the first thing you need to cut your material to fit the size. You can't right. you need to shape it. Like, you need to do it. You just need to figure it out and have mm-hmm. the right tools and the right blades, and you know, even an exacto knife. Like to me, that's yeah. like yeah. a tiny little saw, <gasps> and well, it's so. Remember the little important. miter saws that we used in. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the models. Yeah, cool. exactly. How many pieces did you run through your little miter saw? <laughs> many, yeah. many, many. Yeah. It's just fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun. I think it makes you also feel like, I don't know, it's just, I think it's the, 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 the most traditional, like, woodshop thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And I like the so smell. It's, yeah, it's so easy to take, it, take the saw for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because we use it so often, we just don't even think about it. And right. it is a product. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this one we are associated with. Yes, we're totally associated with <laughs> this. <laughs> this has been brought to you by the saw. Yeah. The saw, yeah. <laughs> like even in my shop here at home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have I have two band saws, my mm-hmm. my radio alarm, 
my circular saw, my scroll saw, uh, my my jigsaw, mm -hmm. uh, and then of course different hand saws. Yeah. And I have small saw blades that I can put on my angle grinder that I can use mm -hmm. to cut in those places I can't otherwise reach. So yeah, I mean, there's I've got almost a dozen saws in there, and, and mm -hmm. every job, you know, requires a certain saw to get that job done. Yeah. 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 Even we, for some reason, have two jigsaws. I'm not quite sure why we ended up with two jigsaws. It's yeah. funny because yeah. like even like if you're a Latino. You, you know, there's a song named after the saw, Cerrucho, and there's a dance to it, and there's, like, different connotations to what Cerrucho means. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's just funny. Uh, I even like the name of it in Spanish. Cool. All right, well, that's, cool. that's the saw product of the week. Um, let's go don't, take, don't take it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next section. All right, so what are we working on? What's everybody working on this week? What are you guys working on? Um, well, actually, there's something we both did together, which was yeah. um, we decided to go test out the, the public library here in D.C. has a fab lab. And, uh, you know, so it's just a, a lab. They have a bunch of 3D printers. They have laser cutters. They've got some routers. Fabrication lab. Yeah, so it's a fabrication lab. You know, they, they've even got a, they've got this weird tool that bends wire. Sewing machines, you said, right? Yeah, they have sewing machines. So they have a lot of different things that makers can go use. Um, so we decided, yeah, we're going to, we, let's, let's give this a try. We're right here. We're making a show. Let, let's see what this is going to be like. Um, and then found out that it's quite a pain to get the permission to use it. Not because they don't want people to, to, to use it, I guess. It's because of the, the, the way you have to sign up. First, you have to take a... A, a tour, I guess, not really a tour, what do they call it? Orientation? An orientation. Orientation, yeah. Where you basically show up and for half an hour they tell you what each machine is. For, it was more than half an hour, it's like 45 yeah. minutes. And the rules of the shop. Right, and the rules of the shop, and so, which is, it's helpful, they don't want people to get hurt. But, you know, it's a pain to schedule it, because you can't just show up and, and have the orientation, you have to schedule it. And then you can't use any of the machines until you go through this orientation. So, okay, you go through the orientation, we went through the orientation. Once you've gone through the orientation, you can't use any of the machines until you get certified on each machine. Individually. Uh, individually. Yeah. So, you know, we went through, and even though I've used 3D printers before, and I, I know how to, uh, and this is the other frustrating part, they're very nice people, for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, they're all librarians. It's not like they're somehow makers or, or like, experts on these machines. So Machinists. we, yeah, we had to take the 3D printing orientation in order for me to be able to schedule time to go use the 3D printer, right? So already for me, and we went and we got that orientation, but for me to want to go to go print something next Saturday, I've had to schedule three things. Only one <laughs> of them being the time to go use the machine. Mm -hmm. Was yeah. there a waiting list too? Uh, usually, yeah, so, and that's the hard part of it is that the classes don't run all the time or the certifications don't run all the time. So you've got to like, as soon as they come up on the schedule, you got to sign up for them so yeah. that you can, you can get in on it. So, so it's been a bit of a struggle, but yeah, that's something that we've done. We've, we've been to the fab lab here in DC and we've used it and, you know, I guess mixed reviews so far because it's sort of a pain to, 
Yeah, the, and the people are great. I mean, Andrew was amazing. He's really mm-hmm. helpful and very, yeah. very helpful is the biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest yeah, thing that I can say to him. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's What been... it sounds like you guys have been working on is frustration. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is frustrating. It's a little bit yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I think it's more, more than the frustration for me. It was the fact that, like, you know, it's, it's a privilege to have that frustration, right? Because I understand the... The process i have access to internet i have access to computers i can check my calendar my phone and schedule it and set it up and then you know have transportation to go over there and understand the words that are coming out of their mouth because it's in english it's all in english so all of that whole process was very privileged and i appreciate that because i have that privilege so the frustration comes for me in the fact that all of the for the people who for the people or kids or youth that don't have those privileges, that don't have those those um, things that they can do, and and yet they have to in order for them to use a the fabrication lab, they need to have that, mm-hmm. and that's that's where the frustration came. But it's not so much frustration; it's more of I see it as a challenge or as a, a as a problem that can can be solved because we are now part of the community so yeah it was pretty cool yeah I mean, and to go along with that i needing to 3 print some stuff i got some stuff printed for one of the kits that i'm working on so i'm currently working on one of my one of my kits so Your I, kits. I, my yes. kits yeah one of the kits that i want to make so i've gotten some also stuff little robot printed. things yeah mm-hmm. and there's a fee for it right i mean mm-hmm. it's 5 cents per they they basically charge you for the material. Yeah. Yeah. And you oh, can bring your own material. Yeah, so it's by weight. It's like five cents yeah. per kilogram or something like that. Or, and or the software per gram, tells per you. Gram, yeah. Per gram, or, per gram, yeah. They don't weigh it themselves. Like the software. Well, the software estimates how much filament you're going to use. How much they how much filament you're going to use. It knows how much weight. It, weight it will. Right. Yeah. yeah. It'll take. Yep. Because of the. That's not bad. Too. You know. Uh, you know the water jet consumes garnet. Mm-hmm. In the water stream. And it consumes it at the rate of one pound per minute. And it's about a dollar a pound. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you can imagine if you're cutting for eight hours a day, yeah. how Whoa. expensive it is <laughs> yeah. to run the garnet. So, so yeah, five cents a gram, that's not bad. No, that's not bad at all. No. Yeah. yeah. But, and it's funny, Ray, because you go there, you know, and you're like, you know, all the tools are great and stuff. Yeah. And people are like, oh, yeah, you know, this was lady who was looking at the sewing machine and stuff like that. But yeah. Jose and I had like this total different view of like the, the fabrication space because we've seen the large scale machine shop, mm. yeah. you know, that you're like, so when you compare it to that, you're like, oh, oh they look like toys. Yeah. This is all yeah. toys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the frustrating part because they won't let you use it until you yeah. basically meet with a librarian for an hour <laughs> about it. So. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it takes me, if you know how to use AutoCAD and you have some computer fit uh, Efficiency. It takes me exactly 30 minutes to teach you how to use the water jet, and you can start yeah. cutting at 50,000 psi. Right. And uh, if you're, if you don't have enough respect for the machine, and you put your hands in there, well, that's your hands. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. And if you cut off your finger, mm-hmm. yeah, that's on you. That's on you. Yeah. But it's you gotta have. It takes about 30 <laughs> minutes for me to train somebody to use that machine. Wow. And mm-hmm. they're up and running. And I, and then I leave them alone. I say, well, just don't stick your hand in the water, and you'll be fine. <laughs> At least you tell them. <laughs> I tell them that. I go, yeah, that, yeah that's that safety. Will not hesitate 
to and I, and what I usually tell them is I say if if it cuts off your finger, consider yourself lucky. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't cut off your finger and it sends that jet of water up your arm, oh, yeah, and You're that's not sterile water. Yeah, that is oh. not sterile water. I go, if it cuts off a finger, you're actually lucky. So um, stay away from the water and you'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because it's actually probably more warning than they gave. Like, we, we did the certification for the 3D printer. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, don't, but I almost forgot, don't touch the hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah Isn't there a sticker on there that says hot, don't touch? No, no there's no sticker. Uh, but I mean, and that, I mean, that thing gets up to like 250 degrees Celsius, you know, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. burn you good. Yeah, and there's teen, you know, tweens mm. like using this mm. thing, so it's like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> what about you, Ray? What else? What yeah. have you been working on? Well, um, I've been out for a while, and right. I think the last time we we did a show and I we were talking, I was gonna make a pirate treasure chest mm-hmm. lock. Yeah. Well, with my eyes the way they were, I wasn't making much of anything. Right. And I lost about three weeks of work actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my god. So yeah. I lost quite a bit of time at the shop and here basically waiting to heal it's quite a quite annoying i was mm-hmm. i couldn't get anything done but i did put up a video uh uh today as a matter of fact about you know my spiral table yeah mm-hmm. I, I i saw the video i didn't get a chance oh, to watch it but i saw it go up yeah so mm-hmm. that that table i built it about 20 years ago while i was in the army mm-hmm. and uh what's interesting is you know we're talking about these maker spaces and you're talking about these uh, the tools at the uh, library uh, I don't know if they still have it, but at that time, the Army uh, had a program they call MWR, MWR, which is Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. And as part of that uh, umbrella, they had workshops. So mm-hmm. if you were a, a soldier uh, you know, doing your stuff, uh, in any off time, you could go to the MWR center, and they had a wood shop, they had uh, a painting studio, uh, they had fabrics and stained glass, whatever you wanted to try, nice. they had all those things. And it's funny listening to your frustration because uh, I had to sit and watch a 15 minute safety video. <laughs> and they said, Well, here's your card. You know how to use this machine? Yeah, no problem. Um, they go, Okay, let us know when you're done. And, <laughs> and it was, uh, I think it was $2 a day. And mm. uh, I was able to use any machine I wanted in there. Uh, and uh, I made that table at that mm. MWR center, and I, I, you know, I did all the turning and all the carving, and I did it all. And I think I, I've been trying to think the materials that I bought because I made that just from two by fours. Mm. Uh, and when you look at it, you don't see two by fours. No. You know, no one ever says that's that's not two by fours. Uh, you know, they never think that those are actually two by fours because uh, one of my pet peeves is when you make furniture from the materials you have. Um, it shouldn't be blatantly obvious that you were made, you know, if you use two by fours, that, oh, here is each two by four that you use to make it. So uh, I, I want to say that I think that table cost me $25 in materials. Oh my gosh. That's Jeez. all it was. But it was three weeks of labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, evenings and weekends, and that's what I did. But it was interesting because uh, those MWR centers, uh, when I was stationed overseas, uh, the bigger camps had MWR centers. And mm-hmm. I was able to go in those wood shops and, and do all the little projects here and there. So I would I would have to say that uh, the armed forces were very progressive in providing those facilities uh, for uh, you know people to use. And they even had uh, like automotive. The, the same umbrella covered an automotive shop. You could take your car there. They had lifts. You checked out all the tools you wanted. You could well. rebuild your engines. You know, take out the transmission. 
it was it was quite quite progressive and i'm curious if they still have that in place yeah. hopefully our listeners can tell us yeah now, so in the video do you explain how you made the table because i've seen you work the lathe a lot i still don't know quite how you made that spiral on the wood ah, using the lathe because i didn't uh, <laughs> okay. the, the lathe only turns it into a cylinder right. and, and after that i had to lay it out and the rest of the work was by hand Oh, okay. So I, oh uh, you laid longitudinal lines, mm -hmm. trans, uh, uh, trans lines, and then you connect the corners mm -hmm. to create the spiral, and then it's all hand cut and carved by hand. Okay. So all the right. lathe will not do that unless it's a CNC lathe, mm -hmm. but it won't give you that same kind of hand carved look mm -hmm. that, that I have there. It oh, took okay. a week just to make that part. Wow. Yeah, and if people haven't seen it yet, they will. They should want to check it out completely. But it's kind of like a like a corkscrew type. It's a spiral, yeah. Yeah, spiral to it. So yeah, yeah. interesting. Okay. So yeah, I've, you know, I've been looking at it for years, about twenty years, and I said, you know, yeah. let me let me try and put make a video of this mm -hmm. uh, as my first video after my uh, my eyes got better, mm -hmm. and I am surprised how popular it has become today. It's one mm -hmm. of those weird things. Well, it's a, it's not just a table. It's a bar table, right? It's high. It's a little bit high, yes. A little high, yeah. 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 Nice. It's it's a really good piece. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of favorite. course, I got my... Uh, I'll be making a video of my chair, my pipe chair. Oh, mm -hmm. oh cool. Yeah. 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 You'll, uh, I'm going to come up with, with that one probably uh, in a few days. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Cool. Well, yeah. Right. I think that's... It's uh, a wrap. For that's the show. Yeah. Then with that um yeah we'll so we're still gonna be at silver spring maker fair on september the 25th everybody should come check it out mm -hmm. we are still working out the details but i think the current plan is that we're gonna do two shows we're gonna do a show in the morning which will be like a regular show then throughout the day we're gonna be doing interviews with people you know people are attending hopefully some of the makers and then that'll probably get released its own show later on the week. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do a show at the end of the day, Maker Fair, sort of talking about Maker Fair itself. That's currently the plan. So if you're there, you know, you can be part of the show. You can watch us talk to each other. <laughs> We're going to be bringing some stuff that we make. Um, yeah, so hopefully it'll be a good day. We'll have a bunch of stuff there. We may even have some projects for people to do. We got to still work that out. Yeah. And yeah. So hopefully it'll be good. Thank you everyone for yeah. listening. Well, no, before we go, let everybody else know where they can find you. Oh, that's right. Uh the cityecologist.com and on Twitter at cityecologist. Cool. Right. Um you'll have links to my YouTube uh channel and my Facebook uh homemade lathe group. Yep, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, and you can find me in at City Aperture for both Twitter and and uh, webpage. So cool. Yeah, check us out at madepodcast.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I, we haven't asked this for a while, but if you're liking the show, leave a review. Yep. Yeah. Review or if you somewhere. hate it, you can just address me directly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> His phone number is. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we would not that I'm combative. Not that I'm combative and confrontational, but be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> or go to Silver Spring Maker Fair and yell yeah. at Ray in person. Yeah, we'll have a person is better. Yeah. <laughs>
yeah, and uh, yeah. So if you like the show, leave a review or tell somebody about it. And uh, yeah, that's the show for the week. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. See you next time.